Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, food followers everywhere. Welcome to episode 48 of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast with your host, Ben Johnson. Remember, you can keep up to date with all the latest martial arts movie news, reviews and podcasts by visiting our website, kungfumovieguide.com and by following us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We also have a newsletter in which we run monthly competitions. That is the best way to get your hands on free martial arts movie prizes. So if you're not yet a red registered foo follower then simply go to our website kungfumovieguide.com type in your email address when prompted and once you are verified your email address you will automatically be entered into our mailing list if you have any questions at all if you'd like to contact the show then the email address as always is hello at kungfumovieguide.com Okay, thank you so much for checking out this episode of the show, which features my conversation with the stunt coordinator, action director and filmmaker Jude Poyer. It's a great conversation, so without any further ado, let's get on with the show. Here we go. Well, if you're really so determined to have a fight, then I'll oblige. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome, one and all, to the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. I hope you are well wherever you are tuning into this. This is still season four of the show. We are up to episode 48. Welcome to it. Fans of Hong Kong action cinema should certainly enjoy this particular episode uh, of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. It features my conversation with the great UK-based stunt coordinator, fight choreographer and stunt performer Jude Poyer. Jude moved to Hong Kong in the mid-90s at the age of 18 and he would continue to live and work out there for eight years. And he worked on a whole heap of great movies when he was out there. A Man Called Hero with Yen Biu, The Medallion with Jackie Chan. He worked with Jet Li on the film Hitman. He worked with Van Damme on the film Knock Off, which was directed by Choi Hark and had fight choreography by Sammo Hung. He has well over 100 films to his name on IMDb, so I won't list them all out for you here, but uh, there are some pretty big hitters in that list. Free Fire, Kingsman, there's a Transformers movie, The Force Awakens as well. There are loads and loads of great movies in Jude Poyer's resume. More recently, he has been working with the director Gareth Evans, the director, of course, of The Raid and The Raid 2, two of the best martial arts films ever made, in my opinion. Uh, uh, Jude has worked with Gareth on the creepy gothic horror flick Apostle in 2018, and then he followed that up with the HBO series Gangs of London. This we are very excited about. It is coming out in the spring 
of 2020. Go and Google Gangs of London if you're not aware of that series that Gareth Evans is working on. And Jude is also working with Gareth on his new feature film, which is called Havoc, which sounds like the perfect title for a Gareth Evans action movie. Uh, They are currently in the early stages of action design on that movie. So huge things on the horizon for Jude Poyer and we had a really great in-depth and slightly rambly conversation uh, which uh, I really hope you enjoy and I will throw over to that shortly. Before I do, we do now have a date organised for the recording of the end of year show. This is our annual martial arts movie wrap-up of uh, activity throughout the year. This features the life of action author and fight movie expert Mike Fury. Mike and I are recording this episode quite close to Christmas this year, so there is still plenty of time for you to get involved. All we want to know is what was your favourite martial arts film of 2019 and why? Send it over to us either via social media or via the email address. The email address is hello at kungfumovieguide.com. Many of you have already done this and thank you all so much for getting in touch and doing that. We will be collating all of those responses and you may even have your comments read out during the recording of that episode. Mike and I will also do our personal rundown of our top five films from the year in that episode. And there are just so many great titles to choose from from this year, 2019. Movies like Triple Threats, John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum, Alita Battle Angel, Fury, Avengement, Kung Fu League, Shadow, Maria, Charlie's Angels, The Bouncer, Hobson Shaw. There were so many movies that hit the big screen and also streaming services this year. We will be discussing it all and neatly wrapping it all up for you just in time for the holidays. So you will have something to listen to when you're in that post-roast hangover. The end of year show does also mark the final episode in this season of podcasts, which has been an absolute treat to bring to you all. We've had some incredible guests on the show this year, people like Shannon Lee, of course, Bruce Lee's daughter, Don the Dragon Wilson, uh, Scott Atkins has been on the show, and Heidi Moneymaker, of course, from 8711 and Marvel fame. If you do want to listen back to any of the previous episodes of the podcast or keep up to date of course with all the latest episodes then make sure you subscribe to the show we are on all of the major podcast platforms apple Podcasts, stitcher spotify soundcloud and so on and if you do subscribe please remember to leave us a star rating or maybe write a little review or just tell your friends about the show any of that it all helps to spread the word of the show Okay, it's Jude Poyer time. This conversation was recorded in August of this year, 2019, at my usual place in London's fashionable West End, uh, a place called the Actors Centre. I just wanted to do a big shout out to all the lovely people who do run the Actors Centre in Soho here in London. They are always very accommodating when I need a space to jump into and record these conversations. So thank you very much, the Actors Centre. There is a little bit of bad language on this one. I seem to remember hearing an F-bomb during the edit. So uh, sorry about that if uh, you're offended by those sorts of things. Also, Jude didn't tell me to 
plug these projects that he's working on, but uh, I'm going to do it anyway uh, because I think they're great. Uh, there's a short film that Jude made, which I think you should definitely check out if you can. I'll put the link to it in the description of this podcast. It's a three-minute kung fu movie homage. It's called Drug Den Master. Jude directed it, and it's pretty silly, but it's definitely worth a look. Jude is also the stunt coordinator on a short film called Tiger Claw that won a few awards at this year's Fighting Spirit Film Festival. Check out episode 43 of this show for more information about this year's Fighting Spirit Film Festival, and also in particular that short film that Jude worked on and also Jude was the UK stunt coordinator for Ip Man 4 when they were doing a lot of the filming here last year. Ip Man 4 of course will be released in China on the 20th of December and in the USA on the 25th of December courtesy of Wildgo USA and we're all of course very excited about that movie. Okay, I think that is all the plugs over with for now. So, without any further ado, let me throw over now to my conversation with the great Jude Poyer. Let's start with working with Gareth Evans... What's that working relationship like? It's it's hard to say. It's a really comfortable working relationship. Yeah. It's unusually comfortable. He has a really good eye for action, a really good understanding for how action is put together, both physically, nuts and bolts, but also with the camera and with the editing. Um, but he's very, very collaborative. Mm. So... Not having worked with him before, when, when I got contacted about being involved in some of the action design on Apostle, the producers said, oh, we want you for however many days, and if you can bring a couple of stunt people. And I looked at the sequences, and I said, actually, I need more people than that. I think I need about four. Yeah. And I explained, and they were okay. But I didn't know what I was going to be getting into in terms of Gareth's personality. I mean, this is the guy that's directed The Raid. Yeah. He knows a what he's doing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and a film that people who aren't into action cinema are aware of. Yeah. And what I found is that he's, um, he's incredibly uh, collaborative in the sense that when, when I've, let's say, when I've choreographed fight sequences uh, on films where I'm not the, the action director, where I am the stunt coordinator or mm. fight coordinator, what often happens is with a lot of directors or DPs, they don't know how to shoot it. And if you try and help them, either they tell you to sort of get back in your corner or they rely on you very heavily. And I didn't know how it was going to be with Gareth. And what I find when I I put together a fight with a lot of directors, I will suggest to them how to shoot it. Mm. But with Gareth, I kept my mouth shut because I want to see what he's going to suggest. And what was lovely, within the first few hours of working together I would say half the time he's instinctively putting his camera where I would put it Interesting. and then the other half the time he's putting it somewhere else 
but it works and yeah. that to me is very gratifying is to work with someone who has different ideas and different approaches but it's exciting and it looks good yeah so it's very inspiring in the raid raid to Maranto as well he's working with eco and his, mm. his team there seasoned martial artists mm-hmm. apostle gangs of london from what i've heard it's a difference i mean you're not choreographing you know full-on martial arts yeah. here do you naturally as a martial artist yourself want to lean more towards that whenever we start on a project it's about understanding the world of the project mm. and, I, and i know that sounds a little bit pretentious but it's understanding the parameters yeah and what's okay and i think the puzzle was kind of harder because we didn't want it to look too martial arty but we wanted it to be creative yeah within the world of gangs of london i Obviously, you don't want people to look at a fight scene and go, oh, that looks like Jackie Chan movie. Yeah. But we were able to justify characters fighting a certain way yeah. based on what their background might be mm. and things like that. And for me, ultimately, um, the action that I want to create is not about being realistic, but it's about being believable mm. within the world of the story yeah. and, and the world that you create with the film or the show. So as long as it's believable, that's okay. Yeah. And I like fight scenes to feel like a fight. Mm. And I think that's something that's lacking in a lot of projects now as you see people doing techniques, but there doesn't seem to be any intention behind it or any consequence. Yeah. And um, when, when I'm choreographing or designing action with Gareth I want those movements to have intent and consequence Mm, mm. Um, you know and for instance in Apostle we have one scene where Dan Stevens is being held and he's got you know two guys with spears either side of him yeah that was something that Gareth set up that was the image he said he stood like this yeah now he needs to break out of it right that was that was your brief yeah and he was there when we choreographed it and and it's funny because there's no one way we go about choreographing and I remember on that one I I wanted to be in the position that Dan Stevens' character was so mm. I stood there with two of my stunt guys with you know holding me with these poles and then I was like well the first thing I'd do I would kick you and break your leg yeah. but then I would turn my attention to the other guy and, and it actually flowed really easy it's quite a slick piece of choreography yeah but it flowed mm. and it's a little bit martial arty but I don't think it's too much that people would go why are people fighting like that in yeah. 19th century England <laughs> you need time to sort of set up previous work with your team do you then go away and then work on that that would be your ideal situation there's no there's no one way of doing it every, yeah. every project is a bit different yeah. and some directors have a very clear vision of what they want and other directors and actors want to be shown something and then they can change it yeah. and some directors are more visual and some are more cerebral mm. so there is no perfect way yeah. I would say that with the majority of directors it's better to let an action director handle the action sequences yeah. really yeah. as long as there's communication with the director about the intent yeah. and the style that they want mm-hmm. because Nowadays, we have Brad Allen and we have Chad Stahelski and David Leach. You know, these are ex stuntmen who are some of the best directors of action sequences That's working big. on the biggest movies. Yes. So the people in Hollywood go, I trust these guys, they're going to give me something good. Yeah. What I found with some of the less experienced crews 
is you waste time on set debating. Mm. <laughs> you know, I've said, let's shoot this at 22 frames, which gives like a less than a 10% speed up to the action. Mm. And the DP has not done that before, and they're worried it's going to look silly, like Benny Hill. Yeah. And then they start saying, oh, well, we could do that in post, or we can shoot it at a different shutter angle. If you have a previs, you can show them an edited sequence and say, does that look hokey to you? And they yeah. go, no. And you say, okay, well, we shot that at 21 frames. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the frame rate we're going to shoot But at. this is the issue, I guess, you must face this, Jude, is that you've been doing this for over 20 years. Yeah. Uh, you've worked on, what, 120 movies or something? Uh, I haven't uh, counted. There's a, lot, there's a lot on your IMDb. Right. And you're probably working with directors who, you know, I mean... Gareth, for all intents and purposes, I know he's a genius filmmaker, but um, you know he's he's made it's a handful of films. Yeah. So you have you you often come to the picture with so much more experience than than a lot of the directors have that you're working with. With a lot of them, yes. I mean, I will say Gareth is uh, as he's an unusual case because yeah. he really does know how to shoot action. Yeah. And he knows how to edit it, and he understands the tools that make it work, that yeah. make it safe. He understands visual effects. Yeah. And 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 putting camera moves in post and all this stuff yeah. so he's he's definitely an unusual case and for me and I have said this to him I see him as an Asian filmmaker I don't yeah. look at him like any of the other British directors I've worked with yeah. um, but, but it's true I, I found that it's rather like actors with stunt doubles mm-hmm. when you work on projects with young up and coming actors that are quite physical and if they've not done an awful lot and you say, oh, this is so-and-so, he's going to double you for this. They go, oh, I can do it. Whereas when you work with maybe stars that have done some big movies, they understand that stunt doubles is just part of the deal and Absolutely. they don't question it and they yeah. don't argue yeah, yeah. and they don't get insecure. Yeah. You know, so, for instance, when, when I work with David Bautista, he's got a stunt double called Rob de Groot and Rob's been with him for more than 10 years. Mm. And Rob is a really capable stunt guy a really talented athlete and stuntman David obviously is incredibly physical yeah. and tough yep. Dave has no qualms about on his Instagram going this is Rob he's been with me for 10 years because he's, he's not insecure with him and exactly. Yeah, exactly he's not insecure and he understands that stunt doubles are part of the process yep. Yep. in the same way less experienced directors can be insecure about using an action director mm. to direct their fight sequences yeah Whereas the more experienced ones, if they've done studio films, they understand that's the way. Yeah. It's the insecure ones you've got to watch out for. And what's the exception and what's the norm, do you think? Um, I would say in the UK, stunt people generally are still regarded as grunts, yeah. which is a real shame mm-hmm. because obviously in Hong Kong, they're seen as filmmakers. Absolutely. I think in America, that... Is a, that's changing as well. Well, they're running Hollywood now, aren't they, Chad? And exactly. The you know, team, yeah. And I think what 8711 do is amazing, yeah. and it's really good, but it's not rocket science. It's what Chad learned from Yuen Peng's team yeah. on The Matrix. Yeah, yeah. You know, but over here, I think in the UK, generally the film industry is more snobbish mm. in the same way that if you get somebody that's a model and they are also an actor, they'll get told, are you a model or are you an actor? I I can't give you an acting role because you were in a TV commercial last week, you know? And I think people see stunt people that way. Sort of pigeonhole. They they pigeonhole them. And I think, um, I mean, yeah, we we know that. I do think it's changing, but the UK film industry is quite snobbish in that regard. You just have to look at the kind of projects that get funding. Yeah. 
Um, and it's something I will talk about when I come to a project. I'll mm. say, hey, you look at uh, Kingsman. Matthew Vaughan didn't direct those action sequences. Brad, Brad Allen did. Allen did and yeah. he brought him on to the sequel. And yeah. he brought him on yeah. to the prequel. Because Brad does a good job yeah. for Matthew. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure he has a brief. Yeah. And I'm sure the previses are shown to Matthew. And, they, yeah. and Matthew gives his two cents. But yeah. he knows this is the way it's going to be done. Yeah. And, and I'm very happy not action directing for Gareth because when I work with Gareth I know it's going to be great so you've got guts but I'm going to bury you alive and jump on your head to revenge our sister particularly with fights if you're doing like a battle sequence with explosions and gunfire and things you can point a load of cameras at it stuff can happen in front of the camera and then an editor can assemble it but when you're doing stylized fight sequences the human bodies, the punches and kicks are like less than 50% of it. The choreography yeah. and the performance is less than 50 is what the camera's doing yeah. and how it's edited yeah. is more than 50%, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. And so when you look at, you know, for instance, Sammo Hong's work, maybe a film like Pedicab Driver, he's moving the camera away, yeah. which is impactful. He's yeah. editing it away. And it's funny that people sometimes talk about, I don't want this... Uh, fight scene to be edited too choppily. Mm. If you look at some of Samuel's stuff, there are shots that last less than two it's seconds, scary. but it's not choppy because it's coherent. Yeah, yeah. It's because he's not just shooting a load of mm-hmm. random stuff and then letting an editor yeah. piece something together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember on Kingsman, there was a moment where uh, it was it was in the tunnels at the end with the, the gunfire and all these guys in white camouflage are chasing mm-hmm. Eggsy. And um, there was a shot where someone drops their machine gun and reaches for their sidearm in the holster and brings it up. And Brad was saying to the camera operator, the story of this shot is his hand reaching down to his sidearm. And I, I know that might sound pretentious, the story of this shot, yeah. but for me, I thought that, that makes perfect sense. It's motivated. Mm. He's not just shooting stuff. Yeah. Every shot has a purpose. Every edit has a purpose. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's motivated. Yeah. And I think nine times out of ten, that's the way to go. Yeah. I think yeah. there are occasions, like, for instance, some of Tony Scott's work or Michael Bay's work, where he just points a load of cameras at it, yeah. and they go for 30 seconds, and you've got pyrotechnics, and people getting hit by cars and falling over and it's very exciting but I think if you're trying to do a stylized fight sequence it's better to plan and motivate every camera move every edit and that kind yeah, of thing yeah yeah over the years how, how have you found working in the UK I mean is it uh, are we I, I promised myself I wouldn't be negative yeah <laughs> I promised myself before I came in I wouldn't be negative and I'm in a very happy place right now because I'm working with people like Brad yeah but for many years after moving back into I was in Hong Kong for eight years and then I moved back here and I often would find it frustrating because the simplest fights or the simplest bits of action people would make a pig's ear of it Mm. or you would find them doing masters of the whole action sequence and waiting till they got a a take that was good and then moving on and I'm thinking God this is taking a long time and and the actors are getting tired and they're pacing themselves because they're fighting for 30 seconds and so many things that were just wrong. Yeah. And I remember I got asked to work, uh, I'd already moved back to the UK, and I got uh, spoken to about possibly working on a film in China. 
for Corey Yoon. And uh, I remember the, the casting guy was like, can't pay you as much as we, you know, you probably used to in the UK. And I said it would just be a relief to work with somebody that knows what the fuck uh, they're doing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because Corey Yoon's a master. Oh, yeah. You know, and it was so refreshing after being back in the UK for I don't know, three years or whatever. Yeah. Boom, I'm back on a Hong Kong film set in Which China. film was that? Blood the Last Vampire. Ah, right, yeah. Not a great film. But Corey Yoon was directing the action sequences mm. and he knew what he wanted. Yeah. And I remember there was one uh, bit of action he wanted me to do and I was rushing. I wasn't doing it at the pace that he wanted and he just demonstrated it for me. Most British directors won't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Abbott, you better give up. With such a wealth of knowledge, you must have ideas for your own films, or at least that's no. You're shaking your head nope, there. No, nope, 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 nope. do you have aspirations to step into the the directors? One show? one day I would like to direct, possibly. But right now I enjoy action design and I enjoy action directing, mm -hmm. and it's kind of that thing where when I first went to Hong Kong, I thought I could act. And now I've worked with enough great actors to know I'm not really a very good actor. And when I work with directors like Gareth Evans, I go, ooh, there's a lot to learn. Right. There's a lot to learn, and um, maybe one day, but I, I would want to do something I could do good, and it would also depend on the script. I know you've done some stunt doubling relatively recently. Mm. Killian Murphy, I know yeah. you just stunt doubled Free Fire. Uh, Kingsman, which you've mentioned. I mean, you you still jump in the scenes, and you you still do that that, that kind of thing, or do you do you not do that so much now? Um, I have to say, on Free Fire, I only doubled Killian one day. There okay. was another stunt guy that did the bulk of that. I don't yeah. want to take credit for his work. Yeah. Um, I do still perform, but I would say for the last year or so, I haven't needed to. Yeah. And. Um, I kind of feel that I've got that out of my system. Fine. You know, eight years in Hong Kong, performing uh, action actor or stunt performer, and then however many years I've been back here, I've done quite a lot of stunt work and I, I've enjoyed it, mm -hmm. but I don't hunger for it anymore. Yeah. I don't need to be on screen. Yeah. I don't need to be the centre of attention. I get more pleasure now watching people watching a fight scene that I was involved with yeah, in yeah. a creative capacity and seeing their reaction what is some of your best work do you think Gangs of London I'm guessing there's some really some good stuff in there yeah it's that you know thing because Gangs is released next year yeah I can't say too much Absolutely. I know that like, sounds pretentious no, 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 but no. I really can't yeah. there's some stuff in Gangs that I'm really happy with yeah and I wouldn't say that lightly mm -hmm. um, there, there is stuff that I think for a British TV series, there's never been action like it, mm. and some of the stuff we've done is definitely cinema worthy. Um, because we had the time to to design it, and also you've got Gareth directing it, yeah. and, and Matt shooting it, and Gareth editing it as well, and we just take enough time, and then the talented performers that we were able to bring onto the show. So. I'm most excited about Gangs of London. Mm. That's been the most uh, satisfying project most so far. Most rewarding, absolutely. Yeah. Final score was, was a great experience. It was a lot of fun. We had a fight in an elevator at the start of the film. You've got three people in a small elevator. Two big guys and one not so big guy. Mm. But there's a gun. Yeah. And my thing was, when we're choreographing this, 
why hasn't somebody shot somebody with that gun? Yeah. And that has to be in there. And this is where I talk about our approach is the fight has to be believable. Yeah. Not realistic, yeah. but believable. Mm-hmm. So within the world of that story, why hasn't somebody picked... And that was our MacGuffin yeah. for the fight. Because that's the go-to thing when you're an audience watching a lot of films. Even myself as a big martial arts movie fan, yeah. if there's a gun in the equation, why aren't they going for the gun? It's the, it's the default thing. You know, that, that was our thing with that. And I remember on Apostle, um, there's a sequence where Dan Stevens is tied to this meat grinding table he's got his I hooks the scene, in yeah. I remember when we were designing it we designed we put together some fights and things and then we came to this and Gareth was explaining this machine to us and it, I think it was like within the first few days of working with each other so you're still sort of finding you know which buttons can I push it and, and I and he, he's actually talked about this in an interview that's where I can talk about it yes yeah. I remember saying to him Gareth we need to understand how this machine works. Even if the audience doesn't need it spelled out to them, yeah. we as choreographers have to understand how this machine works because if we're just pulling ideas out of the air, mm-hmm. to the audience it will feel like that. Yeah. If yeah. we understand the parameters of how the machine works, even if the audience doesn't fully get it, they will feel it. Yeah. And I think... I think he just put a pin in that scene, went home, and then the next day he came back, and then we were, okay, you pull this lever, that drops down, which causes this. Right. And, and I think he wasn't used to it. And he'd said that he would, initially he'd been like, oh, it's okay, it doesn't matter, it looks cool. Yeah. We were like, no, we need to know. And that's carried on into our other work, yeah. Yeah. is why hasn't he picked up the gun? Or why hasn't this happened? Why hasn't that happened? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, the audience may not be consciously aware of it, but I think they're aware if you don't pay attention to those kind of things. They go, why hasn't he just shot him? Mm. Or why Mm. didn't he just leave the room? (laughs) You got into martial arts at quite an early age, is that that right? Yeah, I was about, I think I was eight years old. Yeah. And uh, my brother rented a ninja movie from the VHS rental store. There's a lot of them. (laughs) This was Ninja 3, The Domination. Yes. I knew nothing about... I mean, obviously, I knew what, there was a thing called karate and stuff like that, but I didn't know this term, martial arts. Yeah. I saw Ninja 3, The Domination, which is a... Shoko <laughs> Sogi. Yeah, yeah, it's an awful movie, um, but it changed my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I saw that, I loved it, and then I just started binging on ninja films mm. and then Bruce Lee, and I mm. started training in karate... Uh, did a little bit of judo. I remember at school there was a PE teacher who who uh, was a judo black belt and a karate brown belt, and he was a movie buff. Mm. And like if it was raining, you know, sometimes he'd put on a film. Right. And some of these films probably weren't age appropriate. But <laughs> he showed Young Master. Oh wow. He showed Police Stories. So I was aware of Jackie Chan. Um, and then 1990, the Jonathan Ross incredibly strange film show was yeah, on yeah. TV I remember that teacher actually taped it for me and I, I was already aware of Jackie Chan and, and Bruce Lee but I watched that documentary and that documentary was quite stunt related mm. and then I was like it, something clicked mm. and then from then on it was Hong Kong movies martial art movies yeah. and beyond Jackie Chan it was Samuel Hong Yun Biu and which must have been quite hard to get hold of in London. I know Ricky and Toby were still doing yeah, their thing, weren't they? Absolutely. Here, That's but, it. Um, it was around uh, early, uh, around 1990, in the early 90s. Yeah. There was quite a healthy sort of fan scene yes. and bootleg VHS. That's right. 
and then it became more legit yep. VHS. Yep. So actually, it wasn't that difficult. Yep. And you know, I had a membership for a, a rental place in Chinatown, mm-hmm. so I'd rent movies in Chinatown sure. as well. So actually, it wasn't bad. Did you have a, a sort of end goal as you were growing up? Were you like, oh, I want to... Because you, cause you initially wanted to, to study film, didn't you? Wasn't that the... Well, no, I, I, I like performing, mm. like in school plays and things like that. And I loved movies, predating the martial arts. Mm. I'm just from that VHS generation, yeah, yeah. so I was watching films like Jaws and Star Wars and yeah. Indiana Jones and the Bond films. So I loved films, I loved performing, so I knew I wanted to go down that route. Yeah. Probably from like 13 years old, yeah. I couldn't see myself doing anything else. Interesting. And then at school, yeah, doing film studies and media studies A-level, but then after school, it's like, what comes next? Yeah. I knew actors that had gone to drama school who weren't working. Yeah. Um, I knew some stunt people who weren't getting very much work. Mm-hmm. So it was for me. It was quite easy. It's like, well, I'm 18 years old. I could go off to university and study film, or I could just go to Hong Kong and give it a go. And people say, "Oh, that's very brave." And it's like, when you're 18 years old, what do you have to lose? You're fearless, aren't you? Well, there's, there might be that, but also what have you got to lose? Yeah, true. You know, you're not, nobody's depending on you. Yeah, yeah. You know, or at least <laughs> no one's depending on me. So, yeah, go to Hong Kong and, and see what happens. Yeah, and it's, no, it's, you know, it's kind of like a gap year, isn't it? Away? Just really yeah, give this that, a gap. that, that yeah. was kind of it. You know, I, I got offered a place at one uni where they had a, a film and drama degree course. Mm. And I remember on paper it looked very interesting. Yeah. I was like, oh, filmmaking and acting, okay. And I remember going on the open day, or maybe it was like an interview day, and some of the second year students were showing us around and there were some 16mm cameras, and I asked about that. And this student was like, oh yeah, we don't really touch those, we look at that in the third year. I remember thinking, if I was here, I'd be wanting to make movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Whereas in Hong Kong, the way I looked at it was... If, if I'm lucky enough to get on set, mm. I can learn on the job yeah. and get paid mm-hmm. and have some great experiences. Yeah. And I was lucky. That's kind of how it worked out. I'll change your eagle to a duck. It seems like you were sort of quickly working in the industry. I, or was it not I, like that? I don't, I don't think it was like that. It was... It was that thing that, actually, when I arrived in Hong Kong, the, the film Black Mask was in production. Yeah. So there were a lot of Western people, fighters, working on that job, but I was too late for that. Yeah. I'm not being presumptuous, I might not have been hired, but that was that. And then I don't think there was any movies with a big quota of Westerners mm. for quite a while. Yeah. And also, I was 18 years old and baby-faced, so I probably wasn't anybody's first choice anyway. Sure. We should say there was a spate of UK martial artists cropping up even in the 80s. You know, you had some very familiar faces that you'd see. Absolutely. The, the Guaylo guy that gets his ass kicked. Well, that's what made me think Hong Kong was a possibility yeah. because I was seeing people like Mark Houghton, Bruce yeah. Fontaine, Jeff Falcon, yeah. all of whom are actually a heck of a lot better martial artists <laughs> than I am. But I saw them on screen, yeah. Steve Tartaglia. You're like, mm. oh, okay. Sophia Crawford, Cynthia yeah. Rothrock. Okay, there's, there's, there's white people in Hong Kong and they're working. Yeah. And what, 
also, and this was my naivety and probably my arrogance, I'd see some Hong Kong films and see Westerners that were appalling, that couldn't fight. Yeah. And I thought, well, they're getting work, so it must be possible. I yeah. didn't kind of realise that those people were probably backpackers that were just in Hong Kong for a week. Just and grabbed it, them and said... It was a low-budget movie, movie, and they said, OK, fight. And they're yeah. like, what? You know? yeah. um, they probably weren't making a living at it, whereas people like Mark Houghton or Steve Tartaglia were talented yes. and they were yeah. working yeah. consistently. But being... A, a stupid young kid, I thought, well, if those guys can work as well, then I'm better than them. You must have made friends quickly with, with people over there then, yeah. did you? And you signed up to agencies, yeah, I yeah. guess. Yeah, you did yeah, that. The, the thing about Hong Kong is, over here, I think over here it's opened up quite a bit, but people in the film industry in the UK are quite good at sort of closing doors off to people and building mm. walls. Mm. Where in Hong Kong, there's no unions. So in theory, you could arrive in Hong Kong one day and be working on a movie the next. Yeah. There's no restrictions sure. in that regard. Were you out there 96? Yeah, I yeah. got the second half of 96. Sure. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. What was the first thing that you appeared in? Um, I did a little... I did some commercials. Mm -hmm. And uh, a couple of TV jobs. Mm -hmm. But uh, the first film I worked on was Downtown Torpedoes, which was a Golden Harvest film. Yeah. And uh, it was more like an action walk-on. There was a few Western, like, MI6-type spies. Yeah. And we, we, we got beaten up by Takashi Kaneshiro and Jordan Chan. Great. It was, it was a great experience. And I remember the, the first day on set. I didn't know much about the project. Um, First day on set, we were we were on a on a some kind of naval ship at, at, at a harbour, um, and I recognised the action director, Stephen Dongwai, who yeah. you probably know is the young lad at the beginning of Enter the Dragon. That's right. And I said to the other Westerners, that, 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 "That's Dongwai, you know who?" <laughs> some some of them knew, but most of yeah. them didn't. I was excited about that. Oh goodness me, I'm I'm working on a film with somebody that I watched. You know, a talented kung fu actor yeah. and action choreographer. But I do remember the first day on that set seeing an accident, and that was a bit unpleasant. It was a shot where um, Takashi Kaneshiro and Jordan Chan are riding a motorbike to get away after this robbery, and they jumped the bike into the harbor. And there was a stunt guy with a foam dummy on his back. He was going to do it, and I remember there was a, a Western extra 
And he said, uh, well, I don't know why they need a stuntman to do that, you know. And I said, well, if he hits that water too hard, he could bang his head on the handlebars and knock himself out. Mm-hmm. I said he could get his clothing caught on the, on the bike as it, as it starts to sink yeah. and things can happen. Because it wasn't a very high jump. It was like less than 10 feet into the water. Um, anyway, something like that happened. The, the stunt guy rode into the water. They all cut and then he's just face down in the water and he starts spasming and the safety boat goes out to him and they turned him over and he's just projectile vomiting all over the place and the ambulance is called that was quite sobering (laughs) that was your first day on set first day (laughs) on a Hong Kong action film (laughs) and a guy goes to hospital yeah yeah that wasn't enough to put you off then. No. No. no, because those films were so uh, even today they're, they're very wild, aren't they? Yeah. Um, it looks like maybe they're running a bit fast and loose with some of the safety going on there. Well, or somebody that, somebody died on that film, right? Yeah, um, not not a, there was a, a sequence where a bunch of cars get blown up mm. and a bit of shrapnel from one of the cars hit a, a props guy in the right. head and, and killed him right and um, I actually think I mean obviously no film is worth somebody's life no. I don't care how good the film is I don't care how ambitious the action is it's just not worth it everybody should go home in one piece mm. but what happened in Hong Kong at that time was that a lot of films were being done quite guerrilla style I mean this was a golden harvest movie with stars and with a budget but the the Hong Kong government would not give permission for a lot of these sort of pyrotechnic things. So what tended to happen was you would rush, you would shoot it, and you hoped that you'd cleared everything up and got out of there by the time the police turned up. Right. So I can only imagine that they'd rented the location, which was this former RAF airfield. Mm. They probably got all the permissions to film there. They probably hadn't got permissions to do the big series of explosions. Yeah. And because they're rushing, they probably didn't clear the set mm-hmm. wide enough. Yeah. And it's that sort of thing doesn't just happen in Hong Kong. Somebody got killed in Canada the same year by a very similar situation, yeah. a bit of yeah. debris from an explosion. Yeah. Um, so I remember at the time, Hong Kong filmmakers actually saying, if the government valued our industry... Mm they would be a bit more cooperative and rather than try and arrest us they'd be going oh you want to shut down this road to film do it I remember when I was living in Hong Kong Bill Clinton visited and in his speech he he said you know people of Hong Kong you know the world has consumed your your food and your movies Mm. now Hong Kong films a lot of people think of Jackie Chan they think of Hong Kong cinema absolutely and I think back then the government didn't value that Mm. I I don't know if that's changed You really should be ashamed. Do you call that a punch? You were out there for eight years. Mm. So many films to... Re- Purple Storm, Midnight Express, Star Runner, um, Heat Team, So Close, Fist Power. There's, there's, there's so many films. Mm. How much were you aware of... Well, two things. What the film was about... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and what your role in it would be. I mean, how much prep did you get on some of these sets? It really depended. I mean, it's like you said, I've, I've done a hundred-something films, yeah. but some of those films I will have worked a day on. Yes. And yes. when that happens, yet you don't know the story, and that's fine. Yeah. You know, um, other ones are a bit more detailed. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
like a man called Hero, I had a bit more knowledge yep. of what the over great part for you the story was. That that's probably like my favourite movie memory yeah. of that time in Hong Kong. Yun Bu, exactly. I remember I was auditioned by the assistant director and there was myself and Tom Hudak who played my dad in the film. And we went up to Golden Harvest for the audition and um, the assistant director was like, oh, this is like a... It's not a sequel to Storm Riders, but it's a follow-up to Storm Riders. It was Andrew Lau, wasn't it? That's so right. Same, same yeah, and Storm Riders was the first Hong Kong film that had lots of visual effects yeah. and it was based on a comic book and it had cleaned up at the box office I did not like that movie yeah. so when, when she said oh it's like a follow up to Storm Riders I was like oh. Oh dear. and then she said but if you get the role you get to fight Yun Bu and then I was like yeah. my interest Sorry. just switched you know 480 degrees oh okay. yeah and then what was nice about that role was yeah I got to do a bit of acting and I don't consider myself an actor but it was fun I got to play a role I got to fight as that role and fight Yun Bu who's one of my big heroes yeah. he still is and perform stunts so that's pretty nice yeah you know? <laughs> so it was a good that was a good memory good and Yun Bu was humble he's a he's, he's from all very, accounts, very he's, nice guy he's, he's a really really nice man you know the the expression you shouldn't meet your heroes mm. I understand that because I've met some people who are disappointing but generally in Hong Kong that wasn't the case yeah and Yun Bu is just a very humble, nice man. And um, I remember when we when we did our fight scene, you know, he was very cooperative. Mm-hmm. And there was one moment where he accidentally caught me with a kick. And uh, it's I think it's the t- they actually use it in the film. Yeah. But it's very quick. It's a jump roundhouse kick, and it almost knocked me out. Um, it was probably just as much my fault as it was his. Right. You know, I was probably too close rather than him. Yeah. And for the rest of the day, he kept saying, you okay? I'm, you know, I'm sorry. He's a really nice guy, because yeah. you'll work with some nobody actors. <laughs> They'll hit you really hard, and they don't care. You'll be a really nice man. Yeah. And I remember a couple of years later, um, I was helping the Hong Kong Legends DVD label. Yeah. And they were having trouble getting interview with Yun Bu because Yun Bu doesn't really do interviews. He's he's quite a private, yeah. quiet guy. He's very happy with his family life and his friends and so. On. And I had an in, so I organised this interview, and I, and it was usually Hong Kong legends would like have a whole film crew, but mm. this was like low key. So it was me and my video camera, and uh, my wife, who at the time was my girlfriend. She was asking the questions, and I was operating the camera. I remember after the interview, we're in his manager's office just having a cup of coffee. And at that time, it would have been around maybe year 2000, something yeah, like okay. that. And, you know, Jet Li, Chow Yun-Fat, Jackie yeah. Chan, they're all Huge. big in Hollywood. Yeah. And um, we were talking about that, and then Yun Bu said to me, how are you? Why don't you try Hollywood? And I just looked at him and said, well, why don't you? <laughs> he starts sort of low-key, yeah. you know, and really yeah. just a nice guy. And what did he say to that? I think he just laughed. I think yeah. he said his English wasn't very good. And, right. Um, to be honest, his conversational English wasn't bad. Yeah. yeah. I think he would have maybe struggled a bit playing an acting role, but no more than... Sam O, who yeah. was doing martial exactly. law at the time. And Jet Li's English wasn't great Absolutely. as well at that time. So. But I get the feeling that Yun Bu doesn't really hunger for that. Mm. You know, yeah. I, I actually have, 
I have a lot of respect for people that aren't that ambitious. Yeah. I'm, I'm not that ambitious. I don't need to be working on the biggest project yeah. and the big, most high-profile thing. Right now, I want to be working on something I believe in, trying yeah. to make something good and working with nice people. Yeah. I think maybe the older you get, the more important that yeah. is. You know? But you must have harbored some ambition there when you were in Hong Kong because that was a, a, a great role. That could have furthered into larger role, more acting role, more roles in front of the camera? I don't know because I didn't really think about this at the time, but... It's very rare you see Western people on an equal footing with Chinese people in Hong Kong films. I mean, I understand, you yeah. know. So, not really. Yeah. But what I did find was, because that film was a big hit and it was quite high profile, other, it was easier to get other roles. Yeah. And yeah. Sometimes in just like B-movies. I did a lot of Hong Kong B-movies. And I have to say that some of those movies, which were shot in like, 10 days or 14 days yeah, were more educational yeah. than the big movies because yeah. you learn so much yeah. and um, for instance uh, you mentioned this film Fist Power yeah. uh, Zhao Wenzhao or Chiu Manche he was one of the few actors in Hong Kong at that time that could really fight because mm. a lot of the fighters had ever gone to Hollywood or, or they were more interested in like the pop stars mm-hmm. And when I got uh, a chance to audition, oh, you know, uh, Vincent Giles' new movie, I was, oh, I was very excited. Mm. And, um, and I remember I shot one fight scene uh, in a day, and then there was going to be a, a few more days, and then another fight scene. And that weekend, his, his previous movie was playing in the cinema, right. and it was with the same director, mm. and it was a film called Body Weapon. Yeah. I went to see it and it was horrible. It was terrible. And I realised, oh, okay, so Fist Power is along the same sort of level. It's a B-movie, it's yeah. rushed, it's cheap. Yeah. Body Weapon was shot in six days. I think it was six days, maybe it was seven. You know, Fist Power was shot in 12. That's outrageous. It is, but it's a great learning process. Yeah. The director of Body Weapon and, and Fist Power was a, a guy called Aman Jer, and yeah. he used to be an editor. So he would edit in his head yeah. and shoot only what he needed. Yeah, there's no fats there, it's just... No yeah. fat yeah. at all, and I did three films with him. One of them was shot in seven days. Right. <laughs> and you learn. And yeah. his DOP for those three movies was the, the second unit DOP on Crouching Tiger. So he shot a lot of those action sequences. Yeah. You work with those people, you learn stuff. Mm, mm. You learn an awful lot. Yeah. What did yeah. you learn from Jackie? Uh, well, I was not part of the stunt team, so I didn't work closely with him. Okay. So when I worked on the medallion, you've got Sam Hong's stunt team, you've got Jackie Chan's stunt team, and I'm essentially a stunt actor. Yep. So probably the best thing to learn is shut your mouth and do what you're told. <laughs> you know? um, but what's interesting about watching Jackie Chan is I did see him literally tidying up the set. You know, when the camera spun round and was looking the other way and you could see costume and boxes of camera equipment, I saw him moving those boxes. Yeah. I saw him sweeping the set. He's very sort of OCD, isn't he? About I that think so. Yeah, I think yeah. so, but also he's not, he doesn't, he's not afraid to get his hand dirty yeah. and, and yeah. get involved. Yeah. And that's the way it should be. Yeah. You know, 
even in this country, sometimes I work with new stunt people, and it seems like if they're not performing in front of camera, they want to be in a in their sort of Winnebago yeah. on their phone. Yeah. And it's like, no, be on the set, soak it up, learn. Hey, don't be tricked by him. He's got iron feet. I've worked on a couple of Hong Kong projects in the UK in the last couple of years. Ip Man 4, can, I, can we say that? You've worked, yeah. you did work on Ip Man 4, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was the UK stunt coordinator, mm. which I obviously was not involved in the creative side. That's yeah. where Yun Wopeng and his team yeah. get yeah, involved. Yeah. But helping with the health and safety side, helping to find the right British performers, mm. you know, putting them in front of the Hong Kong crew so they can whittle down to the guys that they yeah. want to use. Yeah. And then on set, acting as kind of like a bridge between the, the UK and the, the Hong Kong crew. Mm. Obviously, that's where the language skills help. Yeah, yes. Yeah, well, Peng doesn't speak English. Yeah. And if he wants to get a note across to one of the young British performers, you know, he was able to do it through me. Great, yeah. great. What brought you back to the UK? The, the Hong Kong film industry was dying. Mm. Very, very simply. Yeah. It was around... 2003, 2004, just the, the, the industry was in doldrums. Yeah. I think it started to decline around 96, 97. Mm. The, there'd been the Hong Kong boom of movies around maybe 92, 93. Yeah. Lots of films being made. I think after India, it was the second biggest film exporter. But what comes from that is people trying to get rich quick. Mm. A lot of triads putting money into films, forcing actors yeah. to make movies. Even then? In the 90s, sure. Yeah. I think in 1990, Andy Lau was in something like 14 movies. Yeah. He still does that now. Yeah, well, not, <laughs> yeah, maybe not, not, not that many. But, but basically, the triads were, were using the films to clean money. And they would make a movie, and they'd say, Mr. Lau, you're going to be in this film. And they're going to pay him his fee, mm. so he's going to do it. But probably what was happening, I mean, this was before I went to Hong Kong, but he's probably getting shuttled from one film set to the next. Mm -hmm. And the Hong Kong, Hong Kong's a very small place, so it was relying on its export markets. Mm -hmm. And I think probably the Taiwanese and the Thai and the Korean film distributors were going, we just bought an Andy Lau gangster film, but it looks like it was shot in three weeks and he's only on screen for 10 minutes. Things like that. Yeah. I think greed hurt the Hong Kong film industry um, there was a period in the 90s where if a movie made over a certain amount at the box office it would be released on two VHS or two laser discs in the rental shops half a film on each tape so people had to pay double right. to watch the same movie because it had made money yeah. so I think that probably creates a certain amount of resentment yeah. Yeah. and then piracy was a huge issue yeah. so I think around 2003 I worked on it's either 2003 2000, I worked on Star Runner I worked on one TV show but that was pretty much it for a year of performing stuff and then the year after there was Ultraviolet and I just remember thinking this the industry was beginning to migrate to China yeah because China was opening up but in China, there's lots of restrictions. Like, you can't make triad films in China. Mm -hmm. You can't make vampire films in China. Yeah. And in Hong Kong, I did vampire films. I did zombie movies. Yeah, that stuff was all off-limits. Yeah. They were making historical movies. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't really any requirement for Westerners. Yeah. So I thought, it's time to get out. 
mm. so moved back to the UK. Mm. While we're talking about that Hong Kong era, there's a few other names I guess we should mention, mm-hmm. particularly Samo. Yeah. Samo, first working with him on Knockoff, maybe? That's is that, correct. Is yeah. that right? Yes. He's one of your heroes. I, he I'm is. Yeah. He is. I think for modern day action, Samo Hong is untouchable. Yeah. I think he's by far the best. Yeah. Um, and even his... his his work from the 90s and 80s now holds up. And yeah. I think it's better than a lot of stuff that's coming out now. Yeah. I don't really think we've surpassed it. And also, I think Samo's probably the most influential action designer in Hong Kong cinema. Because people often talk about Hong Kong films before Bruce Lee and after Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. But if you look at Hong Kong cinema in the 70s, when Golden Harvest started to employ Samo as an action director, it suddenly starts getting a lot tighter. Absolutely. And a lot more impactful. Yeah. And, and even, you know, when he became a director, I, I was watching Prodigal Son last night, actually. I saw that on your Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> he, obviously, Prodigal Son is very stylized. Yeah. That's what I talk about when I say real, uh, believable, not realistic. Yeah. That's not real fighting. No. You can't do that in final score. No. No. You can't do it in real life. No. But when you watch it, you believe they're having a fight. Mm-hmm. You watch some Hong Kong Kung Fu films, it just looks a bit patty cake. Yeah. You look at lots of Western fighting films, it looks like patty cake. Yeah, yeah. Prodigal Son, they're doing very precise Wing Chun techniques. Yeah. But there's intent behind mm-hmm. it. There's power, there's rhythm. Yeah. And that's Samo Hong. By all accounts, from what I've read about Knock Off, was uh, uh, an interesting set to, to, <laughs> to be working on. <laughs> but just seeing him in his element there, I mean, what an amazing, uh, you know, first-hand experience yeah. there. Knock Off was an incredible experience for me because I would have been 19 years old. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a year before I was in school. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm in Hong Kong and it's the handover was happening at that time. That's right. So it was a historical time in Hong Kong's period. Yeah. And you've got Jean-Claude Van Damme as the star. And I was a big Huge fan of him. star at that time as well. He was a star and I'm a fan of him. And then Choi Huck is directing, and I'm a fan of you know Zoo Warriors and yeah. the films he produced, like Chinese Ghost Story. And then you've got Samo Hong, and you've got Yun Bing doing the action, and then various stunt people also on there. Part of it, like Mars, was was on the stunt team. A, a guy called Lam Hak Ming that you might not know the name, but you'd recognise the sure. face. He's in loads of movies. They're all there creating action. Mm. So, yeah, you're, you're seeing action being created. Yeah. And, and that was the thing. Is I'd seen a bit of it on Downtown Torpedoes, but on Knockoff, I really got to see this Hong Kong approach where the action is done as montage, mm. where you don't shoot masters and then do a couple of inserts. Every shot is pre-planned, and it's like a mosaic, yeah. watching things being put together. Um, and just seeing that attention to detail. Mm. And once again, I got to see you know, Samuel demonstrating what he wants, you yeah. know, acting it out. And it was, it was great to watch. And also there was a, uh, an amazing efficiency where there was a big action scene at the end on the ship, a container ship. They would have one camera over yonder prepping the next setup while they filmed on another camera. So Samo was bouncing back and forth. Right. And you might have Jean-Claude on camera B over there while yeah. his doubles on camera A over yeah. there and then they'd swap over. So it was a very efficient 
yeah. way of filming. And working with Van Damme, that must yeah. have been that must have been a, it was a, cool it was a huge highlight. I yeah. I had posters of him on my wall, Absolutely. you know, when I was a teenager. Yeah. And then you're on a film set with him. Yeah. You know, and uh, I remember that. I, I mean, my bit of action with him is very small in the film, and it was a little bit longer when we shot it, but then reduced. And I remember I was rehearsing it with his stunt double, and then he comes over to do it, and he. He'd learn my name. You know, hey Jude, that's, that's good. You know, let's go. You know, and I thought, it's a nice guy. You know, yeah. he's made the effort. Yeah. And I remember I'm um, trying to strangle him, and he pulls me round in front of him, and you know, grabs him by the hair. And I remember the first time I did it, my elbow accidentally clipped his chin, so I I, I hit him with an elbow. Right. I remember thinking, my you know, fledgling yeah. career is <laughs> just gone. You know. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. And he said, Don't worry, it wasn't your fault. And we just Great, carried on. Just moved on. Oh. First, I'll turn you into a goose, you stupid fool. During that time, then, it became apparent that you wanted to pursue this career behind the camera. Then, when I was in Hong Kong, I didn't think about becoming an action designer, mm. partly because there were so many much more capable and qualified people there doing it. Yeah. But then moving back to the UK and performing stunts, and then you know the opportunities came to start stunt coordinating or people would ask you to fight a range um, and then yeah I, I found more and more that's what I found interesting yeah. and I, I like the idea of reading something on a script page and going oh okay how might we shoot that bring that to life how do you keep coming up with new ideas one thing I enjoyed doing is playing with expectations mm -hmm. and I think I think a lot of filmmakers do that but I, I sometimes like to maybe misdirect the audience to think it's going to go a certain way and then go another way. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's one way to keep it fresh. Yeah. I, obviously, I can't say too much about Gangs of London, but I've seen a lot of things where people get smashed through furniture like it's nothing. Yeah. And that can be fun. Yeah. And if you're watching you know, like one of those Universal Soldier movies, if you've got two genetically engineered monsters fighting each other, that's fine. But yeah. I actually think it's more fun, I remember saying to Gareth, let's have people getting slammed onto things that don't break. Yeah. Because that feels... Yeah, that's more, more realistic, isn't it, as well? Yeah, but yeah. also I think for the audience it's more painful. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so sometimes it is about playing with expectation. Yeah. Do you still see action films that take you by surprise, where you see something and you're like, whoa, that, that, you know, that's really awesome, I've not seen that before. Do you still get surprised by that? Have you been in this t industry for too long? <laughs> no, so, sometimes I do. Yeah. Sometimes I get surprised. More often, the answer no. Yeah. You know, I, I actually think, um, I do look, I, I do try and keep up to date with what new action sequences are coming out, and there are some really talented people that are worth following. Yeah. You know, and I have to say that, for instance... Hong Kong was pioneering in its wire work, but if you look at the wire work in Hong Kong films now and compare it to what some of the Australian or the German stunt riggers are doing, Hong Kong's been left behind. Yeah, interesting. So it's good to keep up to date with mm. the, the advances and, and what, what people are doing, but I would say that I still look to the past, so I, I will watch you know, an 80s Jackie Chan film or 80s Yuen Bu film and I'll see things like, actually, that's really good and that's yeah. better than what's been in the cinema in the UK or in Hong Kong in the last, you know, five years. Sometimes I'll look at what I don't like in other people's action. Yeah. Okay, I want to avoid that. Mm. Uh, how, do we, how do we riff 
on that yeah. or do it differently. Yeah. What are the sort of tips that you would be you would be telling people? If somebody wants to be a performer, I would say it's good to have a, a range of skills. Hmm. Yeah, because you do wire stuff, you do fire stuff mm-hmm. as well. Yes. You can fight. You, mm-hmm. you do the full mm-hmm. the full range. Don't you? Um, so yeah, it, it's like you know you, you might see somebody who's done taekwondo, mm. and they've got great legs, great kicks, mm. but maybe it would be good for them to do some boxing, mm. you know, to balance that out, yeah. or do some wushu, you know, to work on their hands or work on their weapons. So I think it's good to have a, a broader range of skills. I think that's one thing, and then also just really, really, I mean, it sounds like obvious, but. Be able to market yourself. I, I have sometimes stunt people or action people email me, and I, I welcome any person putting themselves forward. You know, thirty seconds out of your day, you know, to, to read it, and they don't have a show reel. Yeah. And it's like, how can I hire you based on a couple of photos? Yeah. And some people will say, oh, I haven't got any footage right now. You know, I'm just hoping to get more. And then other people will come back a week later and they've shot something and it's technically it's rough around the edges yeah that's fine yeah but uh, an action coordinator or a choreographer a stunt person should be able to look at that and go oh okay I can see this person can move oh this person has camera awareness yeah. oh they're not afraid to take a hard hit one thing that I would say with regard to budding choreographers mm. is um, I mean maybe this is my bugbear but some not all seem to maybe neglect the camera work mm-hmm. side of things you know one thing that really annoys me is if I see two good martial artists and kickers fighting each other and the camera's on a profile wide shot and you can see that the kicks are nowhere near each other's yeah. heads but you see a lot of that yeah. and that to me is you know yeah. so I mean the camera's as much part of the choreography isn't it 100% 100% and I think um, you you separate them at your peril. Watch more Sam Hong. Yeah. You know, watch what... Uh, That's just good advice anyway. It is good advice. Also, watch what Tony Chin does, Chen Siu Dong. Yeah. You know, he will do jump cuts. He will do double cuts. He'll show yeah. the same action twice from slightly different angles, mm-hmm. play with different speeds. You can shoot slow motion on your phone. You yeah. know, you can yeah. do those kind of things. So it's a great time. Any laptop computer should be able to edit a fairly decent quality video file. So... The technology is there to play around and try different things. Yeah. Some of the people doing action, especially like a homemade style, because Hong Kong action is so fast, mm. they seem to lock on to that, the speed, yeah. at the expense of the precision. Yeah. And if you watch a film like Prodigal Son, it's very fast and sometimes, sure, the camera's probably slightly undercranked. But the techniques are done properly. They don't rush. Yeah. yeah. And I really don't like to see people rushing. And yeah. then it just becomes like kicks that are just being thrown out there. Yeah. Better to be more precise. You know, like Wang Zheng Li and Drunken Master. It's fast, but there's power. Yeah. And you believe, okay, one of those kicks would take my head off. I know who you are, you bastard. Your time has come, then your son. I'm seeing action more and more in service of gimmicks at the moment. Oh, the actor did all their own action, or oh, they did it all in one take. And it's like, I would rather watch something where they judiciously edited between an actor 
or, or actors and their doubles yeah. and the camera movement and the the editing was more judicious and motivated. Yes. Because a lot of the time when I see these one-take fights, now sometimes they can be great, yeah. and I do like some of them. I'm not slagging them all off. Yeah. But other times I feel like everything is in service of this gimmick, and you can see people waiting to be hit or waiting their turn, yeah. or because the camera's in a certain placement, you don't see that technique Mm. used as well or it's not as impactful if yeah. you just cut to another angle yeah. I will prefer something that feels like a one but wasn't a one yeah. than something that was a genuine one Yeah. I mean I do I mean, I am biased because I performed on it I do like the church fight in Kingsman I think it's very exciting and very visceral I was going to say yes you were, you were part of that amazing Colin Firth sequence there in the church. yeah I, I was a performer <laughs> I was very lucky you know Brad Allen offered me the opportunity to work on it and mm. I worked as a performer on the previous a little bit and then in the church I mean I, I will say this five days of rehearsal in the church with the camera so it was wow. rehearsed shot by shot yeah, yeah. and then I think eight days of shooting wow okay and that's what it takes yeah and they probably spent weeks on the previous mm. that's what it takes to make a sequence like that yeah and I have to say, a few times I've been contacted by uh, student filmmakers or people making music videos going, oh, we want to do a fight scene like in Old Boy or like in Daredevil in yeah. one take. And I've said, don't bother. Yeah. If you've got a day to do it, plus a day's rehearsal, it's not going to be good. Yeah. And that's not me being negative, no. that's me being realistic. Yeah. So um, the next few projects we can see you and your work farming. That's interesting. Farming was an interesting project. Yeah. There was a practice in the 70s and early 80s where Nigerian families would farm their kids out to white working class families to raise them because they thought it gave their kids better prospects. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a story about identity and about fitting in. And I remember after farming, I went pretty much straight off to Jordan to work on a film called A Private War. Private War, yeah. Rosamund uh, Pike. Rosamund yeah. Pike. And that was about Marie Colvin, the journalist mm. who was killed by the Assad regime in yeah. Syria. And once again, I mean, that's based on a true story, and that's really heavy. Mm. And um, Paul Conroy, who was um, Marie's photographer, who was with her, I mean, he got injured very seriously in the, in the explosion that killed Marie. Paul was on set with us as a technical consultant mm. and... When you're telling stories like that, it kind of makes the martial artist stuff yeah. seem a little yeah. bit trivial yeah, and frivolous. Yeah. You know, yeah. there was when we actually shot. I used uh, some. I, I had some stunt people flown in for the job, but also I used some local Jordanian people that I know as like stunt extras and supporting stunts. And there was one guy that had come from Syria, and I'd worked with him before. And when we shot the scene where Marie gets killed, he was on set and he just was in floods of tears. Yeah, and he, yeah. he walked up to Paul. And he doesn't speak English, this guy. And he was being translated. He came from the city of Homs and he had seen Paul and Marie's bodies moved out of the media center after the explosion in mm. real life. And he was crying and he was hugging Paul, saying, I'm so sorry we couldn't help Marie. When you see stuff like that, it kind of brings filmmaking dramas Ye- into perspective. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As a stunt coordinator, you aren't just doing fights. It's a full range of things and different stories that you're telling. Absolutely. Well. Some, some jobs is just a bit of fun, yeah. a bit of silliness. But then you work on something like a private war mm. 
and it's real people and real stories and um, look I don't know if it makes a difference or not but it's nice to be part of some stories that I think are really really worth telling yeah. I think I think entertaining people is also important Absolutely. because film has been such a big part of my life yeah. you know yeah Jude, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. And best of luck with um, uh, Games of London as well. Yeah, I hope you like it. Cool. Thanks, Jude. Thank you. Jude Poyer there. Fantastic to chat to Jude. Really good fun. I do hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation. I did actually find that one particularly tricky to cut down and edit we did talk for quite a bit longer and Jude is such an engaging person he's got lots of strong opinions as you just heard uh, about the film industry and the action movie making process not to mention all of those great Hong Kong film stories as well which I could just listen to for hours and hours so uh, anyway a huge thank you to Jude Poyer for taking the time to talk to me for this episode of the show Jude's company is called Real Power Stunts that's real spelt with two e's as in a film reel his website is realpowerstunts.com he is also on Twitter Facebook and Instagram under the name at realpowerstunts Okay, that's about it then for today. Thank you all so much for tuning in and checking out this episode of the show and especially for making it all the way to the very end. Thank you so much indeed. Remember, do let us know your favourite martial arts film of 2019. Check out the website kungfumovieguide.com if you're not sure on any of the titles that were released this year. We've got quite a bulk of reviews on there of movies that were released this year 2019 have a think and send us your thoughts and who knows they may feature on our end of year special that will actually be the next time that we meet again which will probably be around christmas eve or maybe the day before that anyway until then do take care and i will speak to you all again very soon on the kung fu movie guide podcast bye for now Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.